Right, let's go ahead and get started. You may keep your seats. Page 271. I wandered in the shades of night till Jesus came to me And with the sunlight of his love did all my darkness flee Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today Sunlight, sunlight all over the way Since the Savior found me, took away my sin I let the sunlight of his love Round me roll, however dark the world may be, I've sunlight in my soul. Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. Sunlight, sunlight all over the way. Since the Savior took away my sin, I've had the sunlight of His love within. Soon I shall see Him as He is the light that came to me. Behold the brightness of His face all through eternity. Sunlight, sunlight, in my soul today. Sunlight, sunlight, all along the way. Since the Savior found me, took away my sin. I've had the sunlight of His love within. page 404 Walking in sunlight over my journey over the mountain to the deep Yeah. 
Jesus, Jesus is back in the bright sunlight. Every see you tonight. Appreciate you being here. Let me make a couple of announcements and then we'll take up some prayer requests. Remember this coming Saturday is our sweetheart banquet at six o'clock. So all of you that have signed up for that, please remember that. Um, that's it. As far as our prayer requests go tonight, um, we need to pray for Brother Al Williams. I've got to have some tests done first thing in the morning, so let's pray for him. Mr. Peggy Phillips is back in the hospital. Need to pray for her. Sally Ryder, Diane Bennett, which is Mike Bennett's mother. She fell and broke her, is, was it her hip? Broke her hip and had to have immediate surgery with that, so let's pray for her. The Harold family, Lily and Lisa Kim and Tammy Roy. And y'all pray for me. I don't know what's going on with my knee, but uh, I'm in a lot of pain. So y'all pray for me. And please pray for the old man sitting right back there on the back row. Going to turn 75, I understand, tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's remember, Brother i tell you what, let's sing happy birthday to him. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's sing happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. And many more. Amen. Yeah, a secret. The, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> Been out of the bag. Amen. Um, any, how about your prayer request tonight now? I talked to him earlier this week, and uh, he said it's pretty bad when you're feeling great. And then get put in the hospital and come out feeling terrible. And uh, when I talked to him, though, he was at his office and was going to work about, try to work about a half a day, then go home. So still a, still a lot going on there, Brother Ron. We do need to pray for Brother Warren. And
Anybody else tonight? Yes, ma'am. Any anyone else on your hearts tonight that we need to pray for? Anybody? All right, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Let's all gather around these altars and pray over these requests that, that God would meet every need. Our God knows what to do on every situation, so let's come and pray. got any missionary money you can bring that at this time and if you need a study sheet you can come get it I forgot the missionary money last week Amen. They do good. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Acts tonight and looking further into Acts chapter 9. We're in our 21st, 21st uh, study.
in the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but just just studying through this book and preparing these uh, lessons have been a real refreshment for me. I've enjoyed every bit of it. How about now, Brother Chris? Thank you, brother. But uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 17 through 31. Saul has gotten saved, and now he's beginning his journey with Jesus Christ in his life. And it's very interesting to see what all the Lord does in his life. We don't see it all portrayed right here in this chapter. He talks more about it in some of the other books that he'll wind up writing, and we'll, we'll discover those things as we uh, progress into the life of Saul who becomes Paul, the great missionary for God. But let's look at our study sheet together tonight. I want to pray, then we'll go into this study together. Our Heavenly Father tonight, Lord, we thank you and love you for being so kind to us and allowing us this time to gather around the good Word of God. I thank you for those who have turned aside, Lord, and have a heart for the study of the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you please bless them tonight in a special way. And I pray, Lord, for our, our youth uh, group, Lord, the, the teachers who minister to them. God, please bless all of that effort tonight. Lord, we all need you. Lord, we need you in a mighty way. So, Lord, we're calling upon the God who, who loves us and cares about us. Just asking God that you'd minister to every one of our hearts now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's look at these study sheets together tonight and go through these verses out of Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus has just had a personal encounter with God or with Jesus Christ. Up to this point, Saul persecuted Jesus Christ and his followers with vehement hatred. But now things will drastically change, not only in Saul's life, but in the history of the church. Even today, we're reaping the benefits of this brief meeting between Jesus Christ and Saul of Tarsus as recorded for us in Acts chapter 9. Saul is an unusual character. He had been raised as a Roman citizen and learned to fluently speak the Greek language of his day. He also had been raised in a Jewish home, understanding the Old Testament, the traditions integrated into that religion. His regular visits to the synagogue were common events and every Jewish feast was practiced with exact precision in his home. The early detection of his ability to learn easily afforded him the advanced tutoring of Gamaliel and the specialized training of a rabbi. His knowledge base exceeded the ordinary mentality and his destiny was fixed as a Hebrew of the Hebrews and concerning the law, he was a blameless Pharisee. But then Jesus interrupted his life and everything changed remarkably. He now sat in an unfamiliar home that belonged to a man named Judas who lived in Damascus. He was living in total darkness, blinded by the light he experienced when Jesus appeared to him. He did not fully understand the impact of that meeting. All he knew was... He was blind and had no appetite at all. The questions that flooded his mind could not be answered with all the wisdom he had amassed through his years. What was happening? Where would all this lead to? Would he ever be able to see again? Will this be his end? 
Certainly these questions were exploding in his mind as he sat there in the darkness. Little does he know that Jesus has chosen his life as a vessel that would be greatly used to bring the gospel message of Christ to the entire world. He would suffer many things in the next few years, but through it all, Christ would be exalted and Saul would be rewarded. Up to this point in his life, his end would have been the damning judgment bar of God. Now he was set on a course that would end with many crowns rewarded him for serving Jesus Christ. Ananias is also an unusual character. His appearance in these few verses is the only reference we have of him in the Bible. We, all we know about him is that he lives in Damascus and he is called by Jesus Christ to visit Saul. He has some reservations about this commission, but it is reassured by Jesus that Saul is a different man than what Ananias had previously heard of. So he obeys and plays a part in church history. All of us who are saved are playing a vital role in the history of the church. Think about it. The church history book is still being written. And your name will be recorded in some way, some fashion, something you played a role in. It may have been leading somebody to the Lord. It may have been uh, preaching. It may have been teaching. Whatever role it is, your name is recorded in the book about church history. Just as the names we've been reading throughout this entire book of Acts your name is also going to be included in church history. The church is still writing its history, and you are very much a part of the unfolding of this very real non-fictional recording. Be sure you do as Ananias and simply obey Jesus till the day he takes you home. We want to look at verses 15 through 19 about this chosen vessel. It says it like this, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, speaking to Ananias, but go thy way, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Saul's life would never be the same. From the moment Jesus met with him on the Damascus road, the life of Saul had a different meaning and purpose. He was a chosen vessel. Everything he had experienced in his past would complement his new life, but in a different way. His childhood days, his family life, what he had learned and what he experienced in his years gone by has built Saul into the man he was. Now... That man of the past would be built into a new creature in his old life while remaining a vital part of who he was, 
will witness the wonderful and powerful transformation of Jesus Christ. That is the story of every person who has had a personal saving experience with Jesus Christ. We are all chosen vessels and God uses our past to mold and shape us into a living testimony of the saving power of Christ. Look at these verses in Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6. It reads like this, according as he has, look at this, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Just like Saul was a chosen vessel, he's chosen every one of us. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The future of Saul will now be the fulfillment of the will of God for his life. From the moment he met Jesus, his burning and sought after question of life would be, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Ananias enters the home where Saul was abiding and lays his hands on Saul, calling him Brother Saul. This man he is calling his brother would have previously had Ananias sent to prison and possibly murdered for being a disciple of Christ. But now Ananias is gladly receiving him as his brother in Christ. This is Saul's first introduction to being a part of the family of God. He is not shunned by God's family, but rather he is welcomed with a gentle and reaffirming touch from the hands of Ananias. At this critical meeting, what seemed to be scales falls from his eyes and he could now see with a different vision. He is baptized, eats a good meal and is strengthened in spirit, soul, and body. Saul spends a few days with the disciples at Damascus learning all he could from them about his, this new life that is now his. Now we want to look in verses 20 through 22 of the confusing victory. And straightway, talking about Saul, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. As soon as Saul is strengthened, he begins his specialized call of preaching Jesus Christ. He boldly marches into the synagogues at Damascus, gathers a curious crowd of Jews together, and preaches his first message proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no doubt that his short stay with the disciples of Damascus enlightened and emboldened Saul. His heart and mind were now established in the foundational truth of who Jesus Christ is. Before Christ experienced the cross, he had asked his disciples whom men were saying he was. In Matthew 16, 13 through 14, it said when Jesus 
came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, others Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he aimed at their personal faults of who Jesus is and pointedly asked them whom they claimed him to be. Peter took center stage with a definite affirmation that only God can reveal to anyone. In Matthew 16, 15 and 17 says this, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This revealed truth is the foundational confession that Jesus would use to build his church. He went on to say this in verse 18 of Matthew 16. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock that Jesus referred to is the confession of Peter claiming the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Anyone knowing this revealed truth should be bold enough to claim and defend the person of Jesus Christ. As Saul stands before the Jewish crowd in the synagogue, they expect something different from what they heard that day. They were expecting a speech that would entice the entire audience to turn their arms against anyone who would claim that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But Saul confused them with a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What happened to their hardened hero of Judaism? They did not know of Saul's encounter with Jesus Christ, the one they still considered dead. But there he stands in the synagogue of all places, proclaiming with boldness the name of Jesus Christ. Not only is he boldly proclaiming who Jesus is, but as he is strengthened, he proves, the text says, that Jesus is the very Christ. For this to happen, Saul would take the Old Testament scriptures, read them to his audience, and then apply those scriptures to Jesus Christ. Anyone knowing the Old Testament as Saul did and then knowing Jesus Christ as he did could easily see the references to Jesus Christ as the scriptures would be open to him. After all, every book of the Old Testament references and points to Jesus Christ. During a meeting with a couple of disciples, after his resurrection, Jesus asked them why they were so sad. Their response was full of discouragement and disillusionment. Their supposed Messiah, Jesus, had died at Jerusalem and all their hope was gone. And this is what they replied to Jesus when he asked them why he's so sad. They said, but we trusted that it had been he which should have been redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They didn't know Jesus was standing right there with them on that road that day. Jesus listened and then revealed truths about himself from the Old Testament. We read about this in verses 25 through 27. 
where it says this, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look at this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How would you have liked to have been there that day to hear Jesus open those scriptures and talk about himself from those things written about him? Luke 24, 32, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? To proclaim and prove that Jesus Christ is the much-anticipated Messiah to unbelieving Jews is nothing short of a miracle. God is already using the past education of Saul and coupling that together with his newfound revelation of Christ to convince others that Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, but the anointed Messiah of the Jews. Now, finally, we want to consider this contentious victims out of verses 23 through 31. It says it like this, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying awake was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by a wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Everywhere Saul went, this was his lot in life. Uh, where they, they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. When Jesus announced to Ananias that he would show Saul many great things, that he would suffer for the namesake of Jesus, he was not kidding. In short order, the preaching of Saul had so angered the Jewish population in Damascus that they formed a council and determined to kill him. They set guards to watch the gates of the city and were determined to kill him immediately before he could do any more damage to their Jewish religion. Their synagogue has been defiled by his insane preaching and the streets were abuzz with rumors of Jesus Christ being alive and the Messiah. They had to do something quickly and nothing short of killing Saul would suffice. Saul knows about the death pact of these maddened men. And he could partly understand it. Just a few days earlier, he would have been on their side. But now he is the one being hunted and hated. He went into Damascus to hunt. Now he was being hunted. His newfound friends of the church aided and abetted his escape by letting him over the city wall 
in a basket. Saul would never forget this kind gesture and the way the church ministered to him. He wrote about this incident to the believers at Corinth. And we read about it in 2 Corinthians verse 11, chapter, uh, verses 32 and 33, Paul writing. He said, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Saul travels the 150 miles back to Jerusalem and tried to join himself with the disciples, but they were apprehensive about his intentions. They were afraid of him and did not believe that he was one of them, and rightfully so. Just a few days earlier, Saul was consenting at the death scene of Stephen. He had led the company that caused so much havoc that the church was dispersed from Jerusalem. Now, he was trying to buddy up to them. They did not receive him kindly or quickly. Barnabas enters the picture and begins his role as Saul's defender. He believed Saul's conversion testimony and told how he had gotten saved and began preaching the faith he once destroyed. The disciples' reaction is an honest reaction that continues with some who get saved today. When I got saved, one of the first people I told about my conversion was my mama. I thought she would shout and be elated, and she was to a point, but I'll never forget her words that day. She said, we'll see. She was, she was apprehensive, to say the least. She had raised me and knew me like no other. My past spoke loudly in her heart, and her natural and justified response was, We'll see. And that is the truth about anyone who proclaims the name of Jesus Christ. We will see. If it is real or not, we will see. Many day claim that they are saved, but not all live a life that matches what they claim. Can I get a witness right there? And the reasons for this discrepancy are many. Many of them simply are not saved. They may know about Jesus, but they do not know Jesus. I know about Joe Biden, but I do not know Joe Biden. There's a world of difference between the two acquaintances. To know about someone as opposed to actually knowing someone is the difference between a head knowledge of someone and a relational knowledge of someone. Someone may ask you if you know a certain individual, and your response may be yes. But if your yes was questioned, it may be discovered that you have never actually met the person in question, but you know about them. You have heard their name before, but you have never met the person personally. That is true of many today. When asked if they know Jesus Christ, their response is yes. I keep losing my spot. There was, the response is yes, but it is vague knowledge about Jesus Christ. But if someone has met Jesus Christ in a personal saving relationship, they know of his transforming power because he has worked in their lives personally. Their knowledge goes far beyond knowledge about him, and it is a knowledge acquainted with him. Jesus revealed this truth about some who claim they know Jesus 
but he never knew them. He said these words in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. But look what he says. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Then others do have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but they will not surrender their lives to the will of God for their lives. That is why we read all through the New Testament scriptures such as these in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is what? Our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Don't act like the world would act. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 say it like this. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why? Why, Paul? For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In 2 Corinthians, I believe it is chapter number 12, he said we are to examine ourselves. And the reason we are to examine and the way we are to examine ourselves he says, know ye not? He says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. He says, know ye not that Christ is in you except ye be reprobates? The proof to any individual that we're saved is Christ in us. And when Christ is in us, we're not the same. We'll never be the same. There'll always be the work of God going on in our lives. And he says, whatever God's working in, make sure it gets worked out in our lives. The child of God who will not surrender their lives to the will and work of Christ is not only poor witnesses of Jesus Christ, they're miserable in their daily lives. As a songwriter wrote years ago, when we walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Saul companies with the disciples at Jerusalem and continues preaching boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And everywhere Saul goes, trouble seems to be his lot in life. His life is threatened in Jerusalem with murderous intent. When the church learned of their plots to kill Saul, they brought him to Caesarea and then sent him to his hometown of Tarsus. This part of our study ends with these words. 
And then have the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Saul's life had a major impact on Damascus, Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Some of these cities he had visited, others he had not. But his life is being used in a way that will continue the same pattern for years to come. Some people got mad at him and sought to kill him, but others will learn about Jesus Christ and the church will grow. And we'll leave off right there and pick up our study next week with the verses that follow. Any questions, any comments from anyone? Wouldn't it be good if every person who got saved would be like Saul? And the first question they asked the Lord would be, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then pursue that passion, pursue that will for the rest of your life. What a difference we'd all make if we were truly desirous of the will of God in all of our lives. Amen. 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 Let's all.